it's great to be with you, and other than that little malfunction right there, what a wonderful, wonderful morning we've had so far, getting to witness uh, a baptism and getting to be a part of connection groups. I hope that many of you were able to, uh, to participate in those with us this morning. Uh, it's so good to see everybody. Uh, as we get started, I want to invite our children uh, between the ages of two years old to second grade to come over with Miss Shalene, and we're going to have a time of worship for our kids. And uh, as our young kids go, know that we love you guys and we're excited for your time of worship and what you're going to learn. And at the same time, uh, I would like to dismiss our third graders through sixth grade. Is that correct, Ruthann? Uh, upstairs to the balcony. Ruthann's already up there waiting for you. And our uh, older elementary kids are going to be working on their LTC curriculum. And so uh, if you are in the ages of third grade through sixth grade, you can head upstairs with Miss Ruthann. Well, it, it has been a wonderful morning, and uh, uh, it, it's Sundays like this that I almost think, man, we don't even need to have a sermon, uh, but I prepared one, so uh, why don't we go ahead and, and have it anyways? Uh, I think that'd be fine. Uh, John Mark has been preaching uh, the past couple of weeks on uh, a sermon series called Live by Faith, and uh, I, I have been interrupting John Mark every once in a while uh, with a sermon series of my own called Believe, and so hopefully uh, the, the, the titles are different enough, and John Mark and I are different enough, even though... I think we have a lot of similarities as well uh, that you, know, you guys won't get mixed up or confused. As we get started, I want to show you uh, John Mark's sermon graphic uh, because I want to point something out to you because uh, this was pointed out to me last week during, during the service. Uh, if you guys could put the Live by Faith graphic up there. Uh, along the bottom of John Mark's, uh, it, I'm sorry, I apologize for what I'm about to do. Once you see it, you will never unsee it. Uh, so I, I'm sorry for that. But look along the bottom of this uh, graphic here. You've got a lot of different people uh, here doing various things. And uh, some of them uh, you, you assume are biblical characters, but uh, the fourth one from the left is a lacrosse player. Uh, and the one over here on the far side is a robot fighting an angel. Uh, so now, from now on, when John Mark preaches, you'll never see anything different. And I just wanted to point that out uh, because it was pointed out to me and I thought it was rather funny. Uh, but I do want to make a, a, a spiritual point about it as well, uh, and this will help me get into our topic for today, is that you can see anything that you want to see. Uh, when you come to the Bible, you can read anything that you want to read. If you wanted the Bible to say something, uh, you could get it to say that, probably. I mean, maybe not something entirely crazy, uh, but you could make the Bible say almost anything that you wanted. Uh, for instance, uh, have you guys heard of the Great Bacon Debate? Anybody? So should you have bacon, yes or no? And you go to the Bible for the answer. Uh, now this is complicated, right? Because the Bible's a, a large book, it's a complicated book, and there's a lot of history in the Bible. And the bacon debate, uh, if you read the Old Testament, the answer is absolutely not. You should not have bacon. Now, uh, a lot of us in here, uh, we live according to the New Testament, and we're, there's a new covenant between God and us. That means that we can have bacon. Uh, but you add on top of that, uh, so you have the Old Testament, it says no bacon, no pork. Uh, you have the New Testament, it says there's a new covenant, so we can have bacon now if we want. Uh, you add on top of that, though, uh, in our world today, if you look at uh, the way that bacon is produced, uh, there's ecological factors, environmental factors. Uh, how are the animals being treated? Are they being treated humanely? Uh, I mean, this is a complicated question. And, and you could get the Bible to say whatever you wanted it to say about bacon. Uh, so how many of you today are now wanting to have bacon just because I've been talking about this? I apologize. There's no bacon today. Uh, but here, here's the point is you can get anything to say anything. You could look at a picture and you could see anything. Uh, in our world today, the life is complex and we can get anything to mean anything in our world today. And so part of what John Mark and I have been wanting to do is, is to try to give us a lens through which to understand our faith. Uh, this is a season in our church right now where we are concentrating and focusing on the topic of what it means to live by faith. 
specifically faith in the person of Jesus, and what does it mean for us to live that faith out in practice? And so John Mark has been doing a great job of looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm parachuting in every couple of weeks because I want us to focus on some of the things that I think are vital, uh, almost non-negotiables when it comes to this topic of faith. What are the things that we say that we believe? What are the things that we actually do believe in, and how are we living those things out? So a couple of weeks ago, uh, I started this sermon series with a sermon talking about the nature of God. And uh, as any sermon on the nature of God is wont to do, we covered it entirely. We, 25 minutes, we, we completely, perfect, perfectly covered the topic of who is God, right? I'm, I'm kidding, we didn't. Uh, it's only 25 minutes. Uh, so I left you disappointed that first week talking about the nature of God, and I, I hate to say it again, but I'm going to leave you disappointed uh, this week on our topic of what does it mean to live into this topic of faith? What does it mean to, to practice what we believe? So this week, I am excited because, uh, in fact, we've already kind of done a uh, wonderful job at uh, living this sermon out. Uh, my title for the sermon today is called One Anothering, uh, which immediately when I told Rebecca, she said that's not a word. Uh, and I apologize for that, but I'll, I'll try to make sense of it as we go along here today. But our topic for today, uh, we covered the nature of God in one sermon. It's, it's, we put it to rest. Uh, and my topic today is uh, what does it mean to be a community of faith? What does it mean for us to be the church, the body of Christ. And so just like uh, that last sermon on the nature of God, uh, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? I'm going to leave you disappointed because I only have a few minutes uh, to talk about this today, but I hope uh, that we can uh, use uh, today's topic of the community, the church, the gathered believers as a way to, uh, to live our lives and to practice our faith in everyday action. Uh, so that leads me to uh, the word that I'd like for us to focus on today. Uh, in our connection groups earlier today, uh, we had the opportunity to ask whether or not uh, we liked it when preachers used Greek in their sermons. The results were about 50-50. Uh, so the, those of you who like Greek, uh, here, here you go. Uh, the, the word that I want to focus on today is a, is a, a Greek word that's a lelone. And this word is uh, simply a pronoun that means one another. So it's a pronoun like we would use he or she or they. Uh, and this is a, a Greek pronoun, a lelone, which means one another or possibly each other. Now, I'll tell you up front, uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, this is a pretty insignificant word. Uh, it's not a, a word with a lot of depth. It's not a word with a lot of intricacy or different meanings. Uh, a, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, John Mark and I preached on 10 different words uh, in the fall. And some of these words are words that can be translated in so many different ways. They have this rich meaning that have been uh, talked about, written about, debated, lived in churches for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, this is a word that, that is not like those. It's a pretty basic, insignificant word uh, as far as language goes. But I think if we read the New Testament with this idea uh, at, at the center of what it means to be the body uh, of Christ, the believing body, the church, I think that this word will really help us to live out our faith. Okay, so according to language, it's not that important, it's not that deep or rich of a word, but I think if we read the New Testament with this as one of our lenses, as one of the things that we see the, the whole New Testament through, uh, it'll open up beautiful ways for us to practice being the community of faith together. Okay, so let's turn and read a passage. I'm going to show you a couple of different passages where this word alelone shows up in, in the New Testament today. Uh, it shows up about 90, uh, maybe a few more than 90 times in the New Testament. Uh, and uh, the, we'll look at about four of them today. And the first one is going to be in the Gospel of John. And so if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn over to John's Gospel with me in chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, uh, right in front of you in the pew, uh, there's a Bible there, and you can find this passage on page 1,674. Uh, before I read it, 
uh, I'll let you know just a couple of things that are going on right before this, uh, because this is, uh, this is the, the turning point in John's gospel, where we move from the, the ministry of Jesus into the passion narrative, uh, into that final week of Jesus's life. And in the gospel of John, it, it's almost half of the book uh, is focused on this one week in Jesus's life. And so as we read this passage, Jesus has just begun this Passion Week, uh, and he's with his disciples, and they are sharing a meal together. Uh, Before they shared a meal together, uh, Jesus washed their feet, and so he's trying to show them what it means uh, in his final days. He's trying to to relate to them. Uh, These are the most important things that you can remember about me. Uh, These are the most important events uh, that I want to make sure that we do these kinds of things before, uh, before the crucifixion. And so uh, Jesus has washed their feet. They've shared a meal together. Uh, in fact, right before this passage, Jesus has even uh, announced to his disciples uh, that one of them is going to betray him. And this causes Peter and John especially uh, to become quite nervous. They become quite nervous because they're, they're convinced that they have all spent their, the last three years of their lives dedicated to following Jesus. And so Jesus announces, one of you will betray me, and they get really nervous, and they try to tell Jesus, surely that won't happen, it's not so. And as they're having this conversation, Jesus again speaks to all the disciples, and he says these words in John chapter 13, starting in verse 31. It says, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the human one has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, then God will also glorify the human one in himself and will glorify him immediately. I hope you're all tracking. Uh, This uh, is kind of a little complicated section uh, right here, but Jesus is talking about his relationship between he and the Father and uh, how uh, God will be glorified through what Jesus is going to do. He continues in verse 33 and he says, little children, I'm with you for only a little while longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now where I'm going, you can't come. And now, in verse 34, we get to the part where he begins to use this pronoun, alelone, uh, this word one another or each other. Uh, so pay attention and see if you can f- figure out where it is. Verse 34, it says, I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you al- also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. Okay, so our, our word here, alelone, shows up three times uh, in verses 34 and 35. And Jesus, at the end of his ministry, uh, the final week of his life before the crucifixion, he's trying to tell them the most important things. And he says, this is, this is the most important thing that you can do, is to love each other. And in fact, everyone in the whole world will be able to identify you, will be able to see who you are because of your love for each other. So Jesus, you know, we've, we've basically got two words here. We've got love, which is agape, and we've got alelone, which is each other, love each other, two words. And in both of these words, Jesus is giving us a a framework of how we can live our life, of how we can learn to love each other, of how we can live our faith out. Now, I hope uh, hope that many of you have heard a sermon before on the topic of love. So I'm going to kind of set that aside for now, uh, even though it's a wonderful topic, uh, because I want to focus on this word, alelone, this word one another this morning. Uh, If you haven't heard a sermon on love, uh, you can open to almost any passage in the New Testament and if you read that passage through the, the framework of love one another, uh, I think you'll, you'll do justice to that passage. That, that will help you as you read the Bible. Uh, but in, in the New Testament, this word alelone, this idea of each other, of one another, I think it's pretty central to what Jesus is trying to do among us. I think it's pretty central to what the, the early Christian writers, the, the people who wrote the epistles, Paul and other apostles, I think, I think this is really important to them. And I hope it's becoming really important to us as well. When Jesus began to live his ministry, he was an intoxicating kind of person. Did you notice that? 
It was intoxicating. I use that word uh, pretty intentionally because for some people, they got swept up in it. They, they, they were intoxicated by the way that Jesus lived, and, and they couldn't do anything except for follow along. But other people, when they looked at what Jesus was doing, the kind of people he was spending time with and, and how he treated people, they were repelled. They thought, oh, that's gross. That's sickening. And so Jesus was intoxicating to the people around him. For some, it caused distance. For others, it brought them near. And Jesus is inviting us into this kind of love, this kind of way of treating each other, this way that for some people, that's too much. I don't think I can do that. And yet for others, it will bring them in, it will draw them in to a closer reality, a closer understanding of who God is. All through the New Testament, uh, especially as you read the book of Acts, uh, you can see this working itself out in the body of believers, this intoxicating way that Jesus was with other people. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, you have this back and forth. Uh, the church is continuing to grow, and yet it's also, uh, people are criticizing the, the disciples, the apostles. They're condemning them. They're throwing them in prison because of this intoxicating kind of way of being. For some, it draws them in, and for others, it says, ooh, that's, that's too scary. Uh, I don't think I can do something like that. But Jesus, in John 13, says, this is how you should live, and this is how the world will know who you are, by your love for each other. Not simply your love for God, even though that's a beautiful thing, but also by your love for one another. It becomes this intoxicating way of being in the world. So what do we do with this? How, how do we live this out? How, how do we become this kind of follower of Jesus that the world is knowing us by the kinds of relationships that we have, the way that we love each other, and the way that we put each other first? Well, uh, I think the very first thing that we have to do is that we have to, to understand and begin to live with the understanding that love requires that we see the object of our love as God sees them. Does that make sense? Love requires that we see the object of our love the way that God sees them. So if I were to, to, to come to any number, one of, uh, any number of you and say that I love you, uh, what it would require of me is that I have to begin to see you through the eyes of God. I have to see you as God sees you. I don't see you as I see you with the experiences that I've had with you. Uh, it doesn't mean that I see you with uh, the positive or negative things that have come up between you and I. But if I'm to love you with the love of God, if I'm to love you in the Christian sense that Jesus is talking about in John 13, it means that I have to see you with the eyes of God. I think if, if we can get this right, then our faith will be authentic. It will be authentic in the sense that when people look at us, uh, they, they, they might see difficulties between us. Sure. That's true of everyone in life. But we are beginning to, to live in such a way, to act out our faith, to practice our faith by seeing one another the way that God sees us. I think God sees us as his precious children who are loved, who are flawed, deeply flawed and yet forgiven. People who can come to God, come to Jesus and have a full relationship with him. And so we begin to, to live that out in, in our relationships with one another. As the church, as the body of Christ in today's world, we live in this intoxicating way that Jesus lived himself. People will take notice. I think a world where the love of God is, is first and foremost practiced by the church is a world where uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be realized in the world, uh, where people will begin to look at their relationships as broken as they might be and begin to understand that there can be healing and restoration and justice. Because if we are to see each other with the eyes of God, then that means that we are beginning to want the things that God wants. 
things like the healing of the world, the restoration of the world, the bringing of justice to those who have been oppressed. If we can see each other with the eyes of God, then living out our faith will become that much more evident in our lives. There's a few more places that I want to turn to and, and, and uh, show you today where this word alelone, this idea of, of seeing one another, uh, come into play. Uh, and so if you've got a Bible, you're, you're free to turn over to these, but the, the verses should be on the screen behind me as well. The first passage that I want uh, to show you after John 13 is in Philippians. Uh, Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he says in the second chapter, in the third verse, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. So if we're to love as Jesus loves, Paul says the way that we can do that is to regard each other as more important than ourselves. Which I, I love this idea because Jesus has already spent time during his life and his ministry encouraging us to love one another. Uh, that uh, in order to follow God, we need to simply follow two commandments, which is to love God and to love each other, uh, especially as we love ourselves. But Paul kind of takes that the next step, and he, and he reflects on another passage that Jesus uh, talks about. And he says, uh, regard each other as more important than yourselves. And Jesus, in another place, says that we must love our enemies. And I imagine that this is similar to what Paul has in mind. Whether it's a friend or a foe, whether it's somebody that it comes naturally to us and easily to us or not, that we regard one another as more important than ourselves. See, I think that this is incredibly helpful for how we can love each other, because uh, if, I, if I'm to love you and see you with the eyes of God, it, that, that means that I'm beginning to want the things that God wants. And I think what God wants is you and me. That's why he created us. That's why this whole thing exists, is because God desired to share the love that was within God's self with his creation. And so to regard you as more important than myself begins to live into the reality of God's love. God's love that went beyond God's own self and created each and every one of us. And so regarding you as more important than myself is key to living into Christ's love for us. Another passage is in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes to the Roman church, a church that he's never been to before in the 12th chapter. In the fifth verse, he says, in the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ. And individually, we belong to each other. Paul says this in a number of different places. This is not the only place where he uses this metaphor, this idea of the body of Christ. Uh, but in this particular passage, he says we belong to each other, which I think goes beyond just the idea of we are all one body with different gifts and di different ways of working in the world. Paul says that if you're one body, then you belong to each other. That somehow the head can't operate without the arm. The arm can't operate without the spleen. But Paul says you belong to each other. You are one body. You are the body of Christ. And, and I love that we had the opportunity today to practice in our connection groups, because I think this is what we were practicing, that we belong to each other, that we can come together as a body of believers, of people who gather in one place to worship, and, and we come together in these connection groups and we have the opportunity to belong to each other, to say, I'm just as important as you, and, and according to Philippians, you're even more important than I am. And so we begin to live out this love by belonging to each other. One more in Galatians chapter 6, Paul is writing uh, to the churches in Galatia, and he says, to carry each other's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if we're to live out this love, this intoxicating love, that it means to be the body of Christ, and the whole world will see us and be able to identify us by this love, 
Paul says we've got to carry each other's burdens. In the book of Acts, the churches, uh, they're experts at this. There's a couple of places in, in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and chapter 4 where it says that there was no needy persons among the body of believers because anytime somebody had a need, they brought it before the, the community and it was taken care of. Now, I'm not just talking about physical needs, physical burdens, but our emotional burdens, our spiritual burdens. We bring all of it to this body, this community of people who say that we are wanting to live by faith in Christ. And when we do that, when we carry each other's burdens, when we treat one another as more important than ourselves, and when we belong to one another, when we view all of our faith through this lens of the other person, we begin to live into the love that Christ is trying to teach us. Uh, when I was in Abilene, uh, I'll share a, a short little story with you. When I was living in Abilene, I, I was able to see this lived out uh, in, in a pretty radical way by a group of guys there. I entered ACU as a freshman and uh, had never been uh, to Abilene before, uh, except for a, a, maybe a weekend trip or two. Uh, hadn't spent much time there, didn't really know a lot of people. And as I'm uh, entering into my freshman year, I'm beginning to meet people. And some of the people that I met, uh, a professor, organized for me to meet a group of guys who were older than I was, who had been uh, at ACU for the majority of their uh, undergraduate degrees. And they had decided uh, that they wanted to live their faith out in a very real way. And I'm really glad that I had this introduction, and I'm really glad that I was able to meet them and to, to see what they did, because it was an encouragement to me. And so I share it with you today as an encouragement, not as uh, a way of guilting anyone or saying that we need to do better, uh, because these guys were pretty radical. Uh, they, they went uh, further than probably most of us are able to go in their faith and trying to live it out. So there's these four uh, guys that I was introduced to, and they were older uh, seniors uh, at ACU, and uh, they decided they wanted to live out their faith, uh, not just by attending a church, although they certainly did that, but they wanted it to matter day in and day out. They wanted every moment of their lives uh, to matter because of their faith. And so they decided uh, something uh, pretty, pretty out there, uh, that they were going to do this thing that's pretty out there. Uh, and they, they began to do it. And I was, I was really impressed. So what they did, the first thing that they did is they, they pooled all of their money, which was not much because they're college students, uh, but they pooled all of their money into one bank account. Four college students, four guys, had one joint bank account. And they did this because they wanted to practice this idea of belonging to each other. They pulled their bank account. And then after that, they moved into a house uh, that probably none of us would want to move into. Uh, it, they moved into a house uh, that was on a street uh, that was near ACU's campus that was known for drugs and crime. And they moved into this house because they knew that there were people on that street uh, that didn't want to live in a neighborhood that was known for being built on drugs and crime. So they moved into this house. It was just a couple blocks away from ACU. And uh, they pulled their, their resources, their money, uh, into one bank account so that they could belong to each other. And they decided that what they were going to do is they were going to try to live uh, their faith in that community. They were going to do it in a pretty drastic way, by entering in, by being incarnational like Jesus was. They were going to go into that neighborhood and live out their faith. So they started throwing a dinner party. Uh, once a week, they would throw a dinner party, and they would invite uh, all the families. Uh, anybody that had kids, come on over. Come on over for dinner. And uh, th th it started slow, and they needed to build some trust. But over a couple of months, it began that every family on the street was coming to this dinner party uh, once a week their house. But more than that, they decided, well, once a week is great, but that's not enough. That's not a life of faith. That's one, that's one day of faith. And so they decided uh, every day after school uh, that they were going to invite all the kids to come over, and they were going to do tutoring, 
play board games, and give the kids a safe place to go after school where they wouldn't be out uh, up to their own devices uh, in this neighborhood that was known for drugs and crime. And so every day, they invited the kids to come over, play games, have tutoring. Once a week, they'd have a dinner party. And as the months went on, you would expect that their enthusiasm might wane, that they might have a couple of experiences that were so bad that they didn't want to continue doing this. They wanted to do something different. Uh, but they stayed faithful. They stayed committed to this. Even when the resources began to dry up, they, they pulled their, their money into one bank account, and they're paying for rent, and they're paying for groceries for the whole street to have dinner together. And the money dried up pretty quick. And they began to wonder, well, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep living by faith, even when our enthusiasm might have waned, now that we have a couple of experiences uh, in, in our pocket uh, of knowing how difficult this can be? How are we going to keep doing this? We have no money. And every time they began to have one of these conversations, it seemed like a professor would swing by with a bag of groceries, uh, or somebody would ask, hey, what can we do for your house? What can we do for your neighborhood uh, to help you keep this thing going? Other students would get involved, and they'd come over and cook dinner for them. It was this amazing testimony. It was this amazing experience of, of how, when you devote yourself to seeing another person as more important than you are, all of the fears and concerns that we have begin to kind of melt away into the background. They're still there. They're still a very much a reality, and yet those aren't the most important things anymore. And now what's most important is how can we keep this going, and who else can get involved in it? Now, I tell you that, uh, their, their example is pretty extreme. It's pretty out there. It's pretty radical. So I'm not advocating that any of us have to do that today. Uh, plus, a couple times they invited some homeless men to come stay in their extra bedroom and got bedbugs, so uh, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't advocate for that. Uh, but how do we do this? How do we live out this faith? Well, I think this lens of seeing one another, loving one another, of using this word alone as, as central to who we are, I think it can really help us. Because when we talk about our faith, it's great to talk about what, what, it, what are the things that we believe. But even more importantly, how are we living? How are we loving? How are we helping to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth? Because that's what Jesus was all about. He was all about interacting with people. People who needed to experience and encounter this love. He was all about reaching out to that other person. And for some, they, they, they kept him at arm's length and they said, no thank you. Sometimes they said it more harshly than that. They ended up killing him for it. But others were drawn in. They were drawn in because they couldn't stay away. They couldn't stay away from the love of Christ. So when we talk about living by faith. I hope you'll be encouraged to know that the community of faith for hundreds of years has been living in this way, this way of loving one another, of regarding each other as more important than the other, of belonging to each other, and of carrying each other's burdens. So may we as a community of faith, may we as followers of Jesus, may we practice this kind of faith, this kind of faith that goes to the people who, who are in most need of knowing the love of Christ and sharing it with them abundantly. Because Christ came, and he tasked us with continuing his mission of loving the world. So may we be a people who love well. May we be a people who one another, one another. At this time, our elders are going to gather around the sides of the room, and if you have any needs, uh, any burdens, any prayers that you would like to share with them, uh, they'll be there to receive you. 
Uh, if you'd like to be baptized today, uh, thank you, David, for the wonderful example uh, that you share with all of us of what it means to commit our lives to faith in Christ. If you want to be baptized, I'll be down front. I'd love to visit with you. Would you please come while we stand together in worship?